All right, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Go ahead and grab a Bible there around you. If you don't have one with you, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take that with you. 2 Samuel, the Old Testament chapter 9 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. Uh, let me say, moms, a happy Mom's Day to you and hope you have an incredibly blessed day today. I'm sure that uh, many of you in this room could give testimony that a major part of your journey of faith has been your mother. And I can certainly give testimony to that too. My mom's not with us this morning. I'll see her later today, I hope, but incredibly thankful for her. And uh, I want to publicly say I'm incredibly thankful for my wife down here on the front row who is the model of a discipling, life-giving mom. And I've seen her demonstrate that for 20 years in the life of our children. And I was not preparing to say this at all, but I'll just say it. Sitting next to her is her mom who much of what my wife has learned and displays in my home, she learned from that lady right there. So it's incredible to see that. Sue, thank you. And incredibly uh, thankful for these two ladies sitting down here on the front row. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Second Samuel together for a few minutes. We had a great Sunday last week together, celebrating our 25th anniversary, and we were all outside of the tent and uh, just had a blast some people are saying, why don't we have church outside every week till it starts raining? You say that kind of stuff, but it was a blast to be together as the church family. The only negative was that we had to take a break from the story series that we've been in all year. So really excited to jump back into the story together. If you are a guest or maybe visiting with us, we're walking through God's Word as a church family this year together. Uh, you're reading through it um, on your own. We're studying in our life groups and study groups and then coming in here on Sunday and taking a text of Scripture that you probably read this past week. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. Now, as a pastor, uh, one of the privileges that I get to be a part of is I get to, uh, I get to perform wedding ceremonies. Uh, just a few days ago, I performed a wedding ceremony and the couple that were united in marriage are sitting right out here, guys. Just kind of wave. Congratulations. Ten days of marriage or no, it'd be eight days. Still happily married, right? Awesome. So one of the joys is to get to perform those wedding ceremonies. And at the same time, I've got to tell you, whenever I stand before a potential groom and a potential bride, there's always this sense of tension and heaviness in that moment. And here's why. The sense of heaviness and tension in that moment for me every time I perform a wedding, and I pray it's always there, is the sense that I want that couple to know, and particularly the groom, AJ, do you remember from just a few days ago, particularly the groom to recognize, you better know what you're getting into. Now, you can take that however you want, but here's what I mean by that. Ready? I want that couple before God and before those witnesses as they exchange those vows and they make those promises to know before God you are not entering into a contract. You are not entering into a convenient arrangement that you will continue as long as it's convenient. But if it's ever not convenient, you'll find a way out. I want that couple to know that you are getting ready to pledge your life to another person. You are not entering into an easily dissolved contract. Watch this. You are entering into what the Bible calls a covenant. And it is binding. And it is significant. 
And the vows that that couple says, they're, they're making a promise to one another. The word covenant means a promise, if you will. And even said this last week at the, at the wedding, said, do you promise to love, honor, trust, serve, serve one another in sickness and in health? That's a tough one sometimes, right? In poverty and in wealth, that's a tough one sometimes. And be true and loyal to one another and one another alone, watch this, so long as you both shall live by the power of the Spirit of God within you. And they exchange those vows and then there is a covenant called marriage that's entering into. And here's why it's so significant. Significant for a lot of reasons, but as followers of Jesus Christ, watch this, we know the significant is because the world is supposed to look at the marriage and see the way God is in covenant with His own people. The world is supposed to look at a marriage and particularly the role of that male, and I'll say that as a, as a husband, in the way that that male in particular is faithful, and so is the female, but is particular in that marriage is to be a picture of, for the world to see of the way and the attitude that God has toward His covenant people. Now, I use that as an illustration at the beginning of this message because as you've been, as you've been reading through the story and reading through the Bible, watch this, we are not just trying to memorize and, and be reminded of old Bible stories. We're trying to learn the very character of God Himself as He's revealed it to us in the pages of Scripture. As you read along in the Old Testament, there is a particular concept that is held out to you over and over and over and over, and that is this. God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. There's a Hebrew concept, there's a Hebrew word that you you miss it just reading some of our English translations. I'm not going to try to pronounce this Hebrew word very well because Hebrew and East Tennessee don't always mix together real well. So I, I'm going to stab it. It's kind of the word, it's the word hesed in the original language. And here's the challenge that your English translation has is to communicate in a good word all that that Hebrew concept means about God. It's translated in your Bibles this way. You'll read the word loving kindness. That's the word. You'll read the word steadfast love occasionally. That's the word. Unfailing love. That's the idea. Faithfulness. That's the idea. Covenant loyalty. That's the idea. Pursuit of this covenant. Continual pursuit of God upon our lives is a picture of this word. So it's a massive, massive concept as God reveals himself to you and I. And we are to rest and rejoice. Watch this. That our God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. We rest in that. The word is the idea of loving kindness, of mercy, of faithfulness, demonstrated to His children. Let me give you a few verses that kind of carry the weight of this. You're not going to understand 2 Samuel 9 that we're getting ready to look at in just a minute unless we get this concept, so hang with me. Psalm 40, verse 11, David conveys this idea. Go ahead and look at that verse. He says, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me, your loving kindness. There's the word. Covenant faithfulness. Unshakable. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. There is security in the covenant loyalty of God. 
Isaiah 54.10. Man, I love this one. Isaiah 54.10 says this, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. In other words, times may change. Situations may come at you that you're not expecting. But God says, but my loving kindness. There's that word again. Hesed, covenant loyalty. My commitment to you. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That's good news, by the way. God is way more committed to this relationship than you are. Isaiah 54 says that. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God is revealing Himself to Moses and God reveals Himself this way. He says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion, the God of mercy. I'm slow to anger. And watch this, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. There's the concept. Unfailing, unwavering love. The Jesus Storybook Bible that Paul mentioned earlier is a great tool to read to your kids. The Jesus Storybook Bible attempts to take a stab at this concept and describes it this way. The love of God, it's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love. That's covenant love that God extends to His people. Psalm 136 depicts this graphically. Psalm 136 is an incredible psalm if you've never read it before. It's part of your reading. It's 26 verses. There's 26 verses, one verse for each of the 26 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and every verse ends with the same phrase over and over and over. Look at it really quick. Verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Why? For His steadfast love endures forever. There's that phrase again. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 4, to Him who alone does great wonders for His steadfast love endures forever. 26 times over and over and over in Psalm 36, you can rest that the God that you serve and worship, His steadfast love endures forever. Covenant faithfulness. And the Bible holds that out to us. We're to marvel at that covenant faithfulness. It's also a pursuing kind of love. It's not just a static love that says, okay, I love you, and if that changes, I'll tell you later. No, it's a pursuing love. Psalm 23, one of the best-known psalms in the Bible. You've probably read this verse and never caught what verse 6 says, maybe. David, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, says this. Surely your goodness and unfailing love. Your translation may say mercy. It may use different words. Same idea. Surely your goodness and your unfailing covenant faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the presence or in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. One more example. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, really pressing this idea that this faithful type love is a pursuing love. This covenant type love is also a demonstrated love. Lamentations 3 says this, the steadfast love, there it is, of the Lord never ceases, never ends. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning 
great is your faithfulness. So practically for you, child of God, when you wake up in the morning, a thousand things may begin to rush through your mind, but here's what you can fix your mind on as a child of God. His mercies never fail. His love will not be restrained from you in any way. They are new every morning. God is covenant relationship committed to you. And that never changes. So as we read through the Bible, God demonstrates this type of kindness to different individuals throughout Scripture. You've been reading through First and Second Samuel. You've come across characters like Saul and Jonathan, and then you come to characters like King David. King David, for us, we started last week. We're going to look at King David for a few weeks as we read through Scripture. David is one of those individuals who have experienced the lavish covenant love of God in his life. And as you read the Psalms and you read David's testimony and you read through these, you, you realize that David never got over this. Man, David had issues. David had problems. He fouled up a lot. We're going to look at that next week. But here's something that was true about David. He marveled at the fact that God had set his affection, his love, his kindness on him. And what this, that, that was never going to change. He marvels at that. So David was a recipient of this covenant-type love of God. Psalm 86 says this, or Psalm 89, verse 24. God says, My faithfulness and my unfailing love will be with him, speaking to David, and by my authority he will grow in power. This one's not on the screen, but you can mark it down. Psalm 21, 7. David says, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness, the faithfulness, the covenant love of the Most High, I will not be shaken. Over and over and over, I'm hammering this point home for a reason because you're not going to understand 2 Samuel chapter 9 until you understand David's life was eternally rocked and transformed because he was a recipient of the covenant faithful love of God. And love, God had demonstrated that love. God had poured into his life. He had pursued David. And David knew that he was a recipient of this unwavering, unchanging, forever type love. So it determined how he lived his life. His identity was found in that. It was rooted in that. So how he lived his life flowed out of that. You get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and David is going to do something that seems ridiculous. David is going to go from merely being a recipient of this covenant-type unfailing love to now being a dispenser of this kindness in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now let me set the context for you really quickly here. David is now solidly the king of Israel and Judah. You remember in your reading, he's been at odds for many years with Saul. Saul has now died. Saul is off the scene. David is now fully in control of the kingdom of Israel and Judah. He's been there for several years. God has prospered him. He's experienced great success. David is now firmly in control of the kingship. And he picks up in chapter 9, verse 1. I'm just going to read this narrative to you somewhat quickly. So follow along and try to explain some of the things that are going on. And then we'll make application to our life. 2 Samuel 9, 1, Then David said, He said, Is there anyone left or is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul? Let's stop right there. Just remember, when you see the name Saul, practically speaking, that's David's enemy. 
David now has a new kingdom. So if there are any descendants from Saul's line, they represent a threat to David. Because many in Israel still felt that the family of Saul was to be the king. David was not of the family of Saul. So if there's any descendants who are remaining of that line, many might rise up and say, no, he is rightful king. So any descendants of Saul are a threat to David's kingship. David said, are there any descendants left of the house of Saul? Watch this. That I may show him kindness. It's not what you expect to hear out of the king's mouth. The word kindness is that same word, hesed. It's that word covenant loyalty, that I may demonstrate the kindness of the Lord God. And then he says, for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan was David's friend. Jonathan was King Saul's son. He was the rightful heir to the throne, but he recognized David should be the heir to the throne. God has chosen David to be the king, but they made a covenant with one another and said, we will watch over each other's children. We will extend our love and our faithfulness to one another in this very healthy relationship. We'll even watch over each other's children after we're gone. Jonathan's dead. And David's saying, are there any children of Saul and Jonathan that I can show kindness to? The story continues, verse 3. He says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? If you write your Bibles, man, that's a great place to circle. The kindness of God. There's that phrase again. Covenant loyalty. Kindness of God. And Ziba, one of the servants in the house of David, said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. David, I don't know if you know about this or not, but Saul had a grandson. David had a son. His name was, ready, you're going to love this name, Mephibosheth. If you're looking for a good boy's name, man, Mephibosheth. There you go. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, and he's not even in Israel. He's fled, and he's transjordan. He's across the Dead Sea. He's over in that region, and he's crippled. Why is that important? Well, when Mephibosheth was five years old, the day his dad died, Under attack by the Philistines, his nurse picked him up and began to run with him. And the Bible says in chapter 5, she fell. And after that, he remained paralyzed the rest of his life. And that's important because in that culture, a person who was paralyzed or crippled in that sense had no means of income for themselves. They were really a liability in that culture. Remember that. So Ziba comes in and says, yeah, there's this guy named Mephibosheth, and he's crippled. He's a son of Jonathan. And verse 6 picks back up and says, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. So when David finds out about Mephibosheth, he says, okay, you and you. He gets some of his guards. He says, you go to Mephibosheth's house, and you say this, the king wants to see you. Now, I don't know if you understand history or not, but the idea is when a king, a setting king, goes to the house of an heir of the former king, it's usually not to bring him cake, okay? It's usually to minimize the threat to his own throne. So when guards of David show up at Mephibosheth's house, you can imagine Mephibosheth takes a deep threat, says, what does the king want with me? So his guards take him back to the palace, and there's David, and Mephibosheth shows up, and Mephibosheth does this. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell down on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. He said, here I am, your servant. 
You have to understand in this moment, Mephibosheth doesn't know if David's going to cut his head off or what's going to happen because he is an enemy. He is of the former kingdom. He is a liability to David. David has every right as the king now to minimize any threats to his throne. Mephibosheth is a liability. Mephibosheth is an enemy. And and what's more, Mephibosheth brings no value to David whatsoever. He doesn't need Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth brings nothing to him. And David, in an incredible act of kindness, verse End of verse 6, verse 7 says this, Now, David said to him, I love this, Do not fear. Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness. There's that word again. I'll show you the covenant kindness of God for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. I'm going to show you kindness. It's the Old Testament word for grace. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you a hope. I'm going to give you an identity. And watch this. What's more is you are going to eat at my table regularly. In those days, the idea of sitting at the king's table meant that you had a relationship with the king. There was fellowship with the king. He said, Mephibosheth, I'm giving you an identity, I'm giving you a future, and I'm bringing you, and you're going to sit at the table with my family. I'm bringing you from the kingdom that you were a part of, and I'm bringing you now into a new kingdom. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. David pursues Mephibosheth because of the covenant. Mephibosheth is an enemy. Mephibosheth is a liability. He brings nothing to David. And Mephibosheth gets it. Man, you've got to be careful saying Mephibosheth quickly, right? So... Verse 8 says, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and to his family. I've given him an inheritance. I've given him wealth. And in that moment, Mephibosheth gets it, and he's overwhelmed. And before David, he says, why are you showing me this kind of kindness? I don't deserve it. I walked in here as an enemy, and I'm going to leave here as one of your sons. Verse 11 is an incredible summarizing statement to this whole episode with Mephibosheth. David, toward him, says this, verse 11. I'm going to read it from the board screen. And from that time on, so from then on, in the life of Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the table of the king, at King David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Let me just get a little emotional here with you. If that verse doesn't rip your heart, then you don't get what's going on here. Mephibosheth was an enemy of the king. Mephibosheth brought no value to the king. Mephibosheth, at best, was a liability to the king. And he walks in, and because of the kindness of God that David had received, he walks out sitting at the very table of the king, not as a hired hand, not as a second-rate citizen, not, hey, Mephibosheth, you go over and sit on the wall, and my family's going to sit here at the table. This, this is just from, no, he said, you come and sit at the table with my family you have full privileges of sonship. That 
is the grace of God. See, I don't know what characters in the Old Testament you can resonate with as you read along. Maybe you kind of resonate with David or somebody like that. Let, let me tell you who we are in this story. You ready? We're Mephibosheth. And you and I, as children of the king, brought nothing to the king's table. Nothing. At best, we are a liability, humanly speaking. And because of covenant loyalty, because of the covenant-keeping God in Christ Jesus, He has now extended to you by faith we sat at the table of King Jesus forever and ever, and one day literally, and we will not sit there as second-rate citizens. You will sit there with all the privileges and the rights of a son or a daughter. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So this whole picture is to be a picture of someone who, David, who has just received, he's, he's a recipient of this type of kindness. His life is shaped by the kindness that God has shown to him. This loving kindness, this faithfulness, this steadfast, never stopping, never ending love. It enables him. David is now a recipient of this type of kindness. Has the capacity to now demonstrate this type of kindness. Let me just say something to you as a redeemed church. And I'm going to say more about this in just a minute. All of us watch the news, we open the papers, we look in our culture, and we look in our city, and we wring our hands, and we grab, and we say our world is a mess, families are breaking apart, children are aimless, all these things are happening. Listen, listen to me. You as redeemed people are the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not a government program. It is not anything that can come down from the top. Jesus Christ has determined He will make everything right one day when He returns. Everything's going to be made right. Come Lord Jesus, right? But until that day, He is to take a redeemed group of people and pour their lives with such kindness and then unleash them into a world to say, where's my Mephibosheth? Who is that person or that family or that individual who on a regular basis or as I live my life that God you have shown such great kindness to me, undeserved, lavish kindness that I can go, watch this, as a gospel recipient, as a gospel bearer, and I can go and demonstrate this type of kindness to the world. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ alone can do that and is the hope for the world because of Christ. David was able to demonstrate undeserved, lavish, scandalous kindness only because he had received undeserved, lavish, and scandalous kindness. What do you mean by scandalous? Why do you use that word? What do you think they were saying in Jerusalem? I mean, just picture that... Mephibosheth getting wheeled up to the door of the palace and they, they carry him in and everybody walking by scratches their heads and they jeer and they go, why in the world is the king bringing the son of the former king into his house? Have you heard he sits at his table? 
Have you heard how he treats this liability? It is risky. David, don't you understand the risk involved with demonstrating this kindness? May it be said of us as a church that we go to such extremes to demonstrate kindness to the world. We're we're willing to risk whatever it takes to do that. It's risky. Imagine being... Imagine being Absalom or Amnon or Solomon. Say, who's that? That's David's sons. And they're sitting at the table and they're sitting there with their dad and Mephibosheth wheels up and all of them look at each other and go, hey, what in the world is he doing here? He's not even your son. He's your enemy, dad. He brings nothing to the table. We're your sons, and you're going to give him resources, and you're going to give him time, and you're going to give him all of these treasures. He's not even your son. That's scandalous grace. That's the kind of grace that we have received in Christ. We're recipients of that. If you think God has looked upon you and looked over your pedigree and thought, man, Mike has done such a good job and he can offer me so much, I want to bring him into my kingdom, you're reading a different Bible? So how do we respond to this? I'll give you two life application points and we'll wrap it up, okay? Life application point number one is this. How do we respond? We rejoice in the undeserved, lavish, and scandalous kindness of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Have you done that recently? When you open this Bible and you read this Bible on a regular basis, do you marvel? Do you just, does it almost cause your heart to just quake that there is a God who is this faithful to you? It has extended to you in Christ Jesus and paid the price necessary to do it, by the way, by dying on a cross and rising from the dead and extends you undeserved, lavish, and scandalous kindness and grace in Christ Jesus. Oh, marvel at that. I'm Mephibosheth. You're Mephibosheth. The New Testament version of this, it's all over the New Testament. We won't take time to look at it. Romans 5.10 says, While you were yet enemies, God reconciled us in Christ. Enemy. Ephesians 2 says it this way, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the ages to come, He might demonstrate, He might display the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness. There's the New Testament version. Covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness. Forever and ever and ever, the church will be a trophy of the great kindness of God, of the undeserved, Lavish kindness of God. Rejoice in that, brothers and sisters. Be reminded of that. But also know as recipients of that type of kindness, 
we then have a great capacity to be dispensers of that type of kindness. Life application number two, you ready? Be prepared to demonstrate undeserved, lavish, and scandalous kindness in a very dark and broken world. You and I, as the redeemed people of God, because of Jesus in us, are the hope of the world. We have the greatest capacity as believers to make a difference and to care and to demonstrate to broken families and to love broken families, to help kids at risk, to serve those who are in true need, to help the orphan crisis that's sweeping across our world. This doesn't mean that you go, okay, I've got to go do something. I'm going to pick 18 different things. Here's what this means. As you abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you rejoice in the lavish kindness you've experienced, you're constantly asking, Spirit, Spirit of God, show me my Mephibosheth. Show me these relationships that you've brought me into so that I can demonstrate the kindness. My motivation is because I'm a recipient and the message that I carry is the gospel of Christ. Don't separate the two. Christians don't just go and serve just to serve. We do in many ways because of the kindness we've experienced. But as we serve our city and as we help those in need, we are gospel bearers. We carry the message that transforms eternally. And in the meantime, we will meet needs temporally because of the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just kind of jotted this little thought down because this has always been my hope and my prayer for my family, my hope and my prayer for this church family. That Tri-Cities Baptist Church, the people... Don't think corporately, don't think you all, don't think the leadership, think us, the family, us, that the people of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, that we are the answers to the cries of hurting people in our city. Don't have a dad. Don't have a mom. And don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And on top of all that, and even more significant, is they are pursuing every idol on the face of the earth, thinking in those they'll find satisfaction, and you hold out Jesus. We get to do that. That's the privilege He's given us. So what does that look like in our church? What does that look like potentially for you? As I said before, this, this happens a couple ways. One, it happens as we as a church organize. And I'm going to talk about some organized opportunities in a minute. I think most often it happens as you're walking with God. You're walking in the Spirit. You're abiding in Christ. And the Spirit of God nudges you. The Spirit of God opens your eyes and puts something in your heart and says, that's the burden. That's, that's my Mephibosheth. That's a step I'll take. For example, it might be like Wes and Michelle Mullins who operate our food pantry down the road. You'll pass it on your way out that feeds hundreds of families on a monthly basis. It might be like the Porter family who loves their neighbors enough that every Easter they host an Easter egg hunt in their home. They're in their neighborhood. Why? So they can love their families and serve their families in their neighborhood. It might look like John Evans who on a regular basis mentors Youths and youths in Johnson City, at-risk young people, who gives his time to do that? Why? Because he has a different motivation. He has a message, the gospel. 
It might look like distribution of food boxes at Keystone or Cloud, like Ed Leeson and others who go there to serve because they love and share the message of Christ. It might look like Sean and Holly Harris who have befriended and loved a young girl in a very difficult time and then took on responsibility of her infant daughter into their family. It might look like that. It might look like the Funderburgs and the Knaves who are foster parents. It might look like the Herndons who have just recently adopted internationally. I don't know if it was the 11 o'clock service or the 9.30 service. They were up here on stage holding their adopted child that they brought into this country. And not just into this country, that child's going to hear about Jesus. That child's going to be loved. I don't know what it looks like for you. But as recipients of this kind of lavish kindness, ours is to continually before the Lord say, Lord, where's my Mephibosheth? What does that look like? It may look like a more organized way. There, you may be asking, if there were some platforms that I could stand on, or some organizations I could be a part of to serve our city, and we want to help you with that. On our website at tcbchurch.org, you can go there and go to where it says Go Local. Just follow the links under that Go Local. Our Go team has done an incredible job. Tim Kitts and that team. Jeff Palmer, our Go Pastor, and that team is organized. I don't know, there's 15, 17 links there that you can go look at at organizations in our city that are already established to say, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God, I'm going to go serve through some of those organizations. I encourage you to go look at those on our website and check those out. Here on Mother's Day, I want to identify just three really quickly. It's kind of become a rhythm, if you will, of our church. On Mother's Day every year, we try to hold out opportunities to to celebrate life and as a church to celebrate life in different ways. Let me give you a few that are there as a church family. Number one, here's an opportunity is something through our partnership with Bethany Services, there's something that is starting in the Tri-Cities. It's not been here before called Safe Families. Safe Families is an opportunity for families in our church. We're working with other churches in our area. We're working with Grace Fellowship, some other churches to say, after you're trained, after you're equipped, after you're ready, you're willing to say, okay, my family, we will identify ourselves through this organization as a safe family. And we'll be willing to temporarily, it's on a temporary basis, take a child or multiple children into our home and care for them and serve them and provide a safe place for them while either usually a single mom, but not always, while this mom gets her life back together because of health issues or she may be incarcerated or it may be all kinds of different issues that there's a period of time that mom cannot care for her kids rather than them go into the foster system which can be very difficult I'll say more about that in a minute safe families is a temporary safe place and our families would have the opportunity to say we're going to care for those children and we're to care for that mom and those families why because of the kindness of God and the message we carry if safe families is something you're interested in, listen, I want you to hear something from me today, okay? I'm not putting pressure. This is no guilt. Because some of these things I'm talking about, even foster care, let me say, foster care, safe families, adoption, it's not for everybody. You listen to the Lord. You walk with the Lord. We're holding out opportunities. Safe families, you can check it out on our website. When we're dismissed in just a few moments, Right through that door to the left, our GO team is ready to talk to you. Not pressure you, but say, I have questions. Let me help you find some of these platforms to show kindness in our city. 
Second one is foster care. Foster care is an opportunity. It's a little more high commitment. It's more long-term. It's working with the Department of Child Services to bring children into your home because they've been taken out of the home. Sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes it can become permanent. As you know, my family's been foster parents for the past six months. And I can say again, like I said earlier, foster care is not for everyone. And it's risky. And it's a high price to pay. But because of the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes the Spirit of God calls us to do things that are risky. Foster care. We've learned a lot about foster care over the past few months. I'll tell you some stats really quick about Washington County. In Washington County alone currently, and on a regular basis, there are 200 children awaiting placement into a home. 200 children. Now, you say, that's not a huge number. That's not a massive number. That's even a number I can get my mind around. Let me tell you what that means. Listen to this. That means that the people of Tri-Cities Baptist Church alone could end the foster care crisis in Washington County. It's not guilt. It's not for everybody. I just want us to go before the Lord and say, Lord, where's my Mephibosheth? third opportunity that I want to hold out on Mother's Day is an incredible opportunity is simply to say we are going to position ourselves as adoptive parents. Several families in our church are currently in that adoption pipeline. They've said we, we want to extend the reach of our family. We want to adopt and bring a child or children into our home. Orphan crisis in the world is epidemic. You know that. 150 million orphans in the world today. 5,760 children become orphans every day in the world. We partner with Bethany Services, as I mentioned earlier. If you've ever considered adoption, we want to help you. We want to help you ask the right questions and get, your, get the right answers and pursue that if it's something the Lord is putting on your heart to pursue. Why? Because those who have received lavish, undeserved, scandalous kindness have the greatest capacity to demonstrate that to a hurting, broken world. So here's how we're going to end our time. I want you to hear from God. I want you to be willing to simply sit there before the Lord Say, Father, we've heard the word of God. We've heard about this dude, Mephibosheth. I've never even heard of him before today. But that, what a story. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my family? So I'm going to ask our team to come on up on stage. I'm going to ask you right there in your seat just to take a minute and bow your head, if you will. Again, this is not going to be a pressure tactic. There's nothing like that. I simply want you to sit before the Lord and prepare to respond as the Lord leads. Our team comes, we're going to stand and sing together in just a moment, a song of celebration. And as they're preparing, as they're coming, before we stand, I'm going to ask you three questions. Here they are. With your heads bowed, just so you can listen to the Lord. First question for you is this. Are you a recipient of this kind of love from the Lord Jesus Christ? Meaning, do you know this morning that you have a place at the king's table, so to speak? Do you know because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of faith, you have placed faith in Christ, that you 
have the position of a son or a daughter forever. It's not earned. Don't don't start reciting how much you've been to church or all the good you've done or whether you've been baptized or any work. Here's your hope. Jesus Christ. He died. Rose again to redeem, reconcile, give you an identity, give you a future, give you an inheritance, forgive all of your sin, give you life. Do you have that life? If you don't, right there in your seat, cry out to Him by faith. Lord, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. I surrender my life to you. Secondly, when's the last time you rejoiced in that kindness as a child of God? God, I know I'm a know I'm a child. I have a relationship with you. Man, I've allowed things to distract me. God, my heart, my joy is gone. You, whatever the case is, right now, rejoice in His unshakable, unchanging, unwavering covenant love fixed on His people. Thirdly, will you say, Lord, Show me Mephibosheth in my life. God, whatever that means, if it's risky, costly, doesn't even make any sense, who, where am I to demonstrate this kindness in the lives of others and carry the message of the gospel? I want to pray for you. I ask you not to just listen to me. You, you, you spend time there with the Lord. And then our team is going to sing over us as we prepare to dismiss in just a moment. Father, I pray for my church family. God, I pray that 2 Samuel chapter 9 would become true of us. And the kindness that we have received would pour out of our lives to the city, to the ends of the earth. Your word says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That many would experience your kindness and know you as Savior and Lord for eternity. Send us out. Unleash the church for your glory. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen.